All right, we'll turn your Bibles to Psalm 139. If you're not already there, turn your Bibles to Psalm 139. We're going to do something a little bit different today. We're going to look at these two verses, and then we're going to spend some time applying the verses to our life. And so we're going to ask two main questions about this, um, these verses that we're going to look at, and it's why and how. Hey, why and how. And we all know that God is a God of grace, right? One of you knows that God is a God of grace, so that's good. For the rest of you, He is. He is a God of grace, forgiveness. First John 1 John 1.9, in fact, says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But Romans chapter 6, verse 1, says, Should we then continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. Certainly not. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 6. And we are to, as Hebrews says, run the race with endurance by laying aside every weight and sin. Galatians 5.16 says we are to walk in the Spirit. So although God's grace is bigger than anything, any sin, that does not mean that we should live in sin, right? In fact, it doesn't mean that we should sin at all, really, right? We, our goal and our aim should be to not sin. That should be our goal as believers. Okay? There's a fable about a farmer, okay? And this is a young farmer who took over family farm, whatever. And he was very, very meticulous. He's very organized and he's very detail-oriented to an extent that it kind of, everybody else kind of thought he was a little weird, okay? A little strange, And what he would do is when he took over the farm, he would wake up every single morning and he would go out and he would look at his fields. Like every morning, like as soon as he planted, the day after that, get up, go look at his fields. Every single day until he harvests, he would just go out and he would look at his fields. He's very particular about weed growth in his fields. Okay, everything else as well, but weed growth especially. Anytime he saw any weeds, he would spray his field. And sometimes, which this made him even more kind of strange and unique, sometimes he would even go through the field and pick the weeds himself, especially if it was like a choking weed, a weed that could choke out the particular crop that he was planting at the time. So the other farmers and the other people around him, they kind of said, well, that guy's kind of strange. That guy's kind of weird. You don't have to do that to be a successful farmer. And you didn't, because there were many other successful farmers that didn't do that the way that he did. But after the first year, when he sold his crop, no one else said anything about it, because his crop, he sold for a hundred times what he planted. In the succeeding couple of years, he sold for a great amount of profit as well. And he continued to do those same things. However, in year four, in year four, he planted, just like he always did, And he woke up that morning, the first morning, went out and he looked at his fields. He did his day's work, went back to sleep. The next day he woke up and he he said, you know what? I really don't have to go look at my fields. None of the other farmers around here are looking at their fields every day. And there's really not that much danger or not that much anything in just not looking at them for a day. So he didn't. He didn't go look at them. He went and looked at them the following day and everything was fine. Right. But this pattern continued. okay, and he became more and more sporadic in checking on his fields and going out and examining or looking at his fields. He became more and more sporadic. 
uh, to the point where at one point it had been a whole week since the last time he went and looked, which is unusual for him, right? And so he went out there and he looked and he saw some weeds. And he said, man, there, there's some weeds in my field. And he said, you know what? None of those are choking weeds. It's not really a big deal. And really, when you harvest crop, there's always weeds. There's always weeds in, in with it. There is, and there is. Okay. And he's like, every other farmer, when they bring their crop in, there's weeds in it. You know, it's not that big of a deal. I've been really profitable for the past three years. This year, it's not as big of a deal. I don't have to be as profitable this year. He felt kind of bad that night because he hadn't checked on his fields. And he let several weeks go by without checking his fields before he went out again. And this time there were, there were more weeds, but to him, it kind of looked like they were about the same amount. He did notice a few choking weeds or what he thought to be choking weeds, but he decided that he didn't think that they were, they were choking weeds. He's like, those probably aren't choking weeds. And if they are, they're really small. He went into town uh, that day after looking at his fields, and there was another guy there, and he greeted him and said, hey, how's how's it going? You're still going out and looking at your fields every day? Kind of mocking him a little bit. And the guy said, no, no, I don't, you know, you don't have to do that. You don't have to check at the fields every day. And he's like, oh, okay, all right, well, how are your fields doing? Are they clean? Do they have lots of weeds? What's going on? You're still going to, you know, sell for a 100 times like you always do? That's what the guy asked. He said, oh, I'm sure I'll sell good. I'm sure I'll sell good. There's some weeds, but he's like, oh, really? What kind of weeds? And he described, the young farmer described the weeds. And the other guy was like, you know, one of those is a choking weed. Or it sounds like you're describing a choking weed. And with what you have planted, that could actually take out your whole field. The farmer said, ah, I really don't think it is. I think I just, just described it wrong. I don't, I don't think it is. And so the farmer went to bed that night, and he tossed and he turned realizing that he should have he should have went out and checked his weeds a long time ago and he should have uh planted or not planted uh sprayed his fields a long time ago but he's like you know what it's okay no one's perfect and no one else sprays their field as much as i do no one else has been as successful as i have been it is okay and he convinces himself after a little bit of tossing and turning that he would just go to sleep Well, he didn't check his fields until it was time for harvest. He went out, he harvested his fields, and he took it in to sell. And the manager at the granary came up and greeted him, said, you're going to have another uh, great year, I'm assuming. I'm excited to see your crop. You always have a good one. His farmer said, yeah, here it is. So they get it out, they test it, uh, because that's what what you do with uh, like grain and stuff. You weigh it, see how much moisture it is, see how many weeds are in it. And so the the manager of like the granary or whatever it was, uh, he does that. And he comes back to the farmer and says, I can't buy this. So there's too many weeds in this. I can't even, I can't, I will make no money if I do not, if I buy this, I can't buy it. The farmer said, what do you mean you can't buy it? I planted, I planted my crop, I harvested my crop, and now I'm trying to sell my crop. Why, why can't you buy it? He said, I can't, I can't buy this. There's too many weeds in it. You know, Martin Luther was a great theologian, a man who saw God, and um, everybody remembers a lot of good things about him, and he was. He was a good man. But you know one thing about Martin Luther that was kind of strange? He hated Jews. He did. He called them Christ killers. And he called them Christ killers. He thought, they crucified Christ, so we should hate them. That was part of his theology, is we should hate Jews. Sometimes, even as believers, even as those who... Um, have believed in Jesus for eternal life, and even as those who in some ways are pursuing Christ, other areas of our life we allow the weeds to grow. Like Martin Luther here. 
Okay, he was seeking God in a lot of areas, but in that area he wasn't. And that's happened to me too. Like I can come to church and be really faithful in that, or I can um, do my, you know, read through my Bible or whatever and be really faithful in that, or be faithful in this area, be faithful in that area, but be calloused and suppressing of my sin in another area. We can all do that as believers. If you think about Solomon, okay, he, uh, he was really, really good for a while, right? And then he began to sin, okay? And then he just continued in that sin and became callous to that sin, right? Even David, the man after God's own heart, he sinned, and they think that with the sin of Bathsheba and then the murder, they think it was a full 12 months before Nathan came and he repented. He suppressed that sin. Okay, he suppressed. We're going to talk about suppression in a second. But the cold hard truth is that we can suppress truth. We can suppress truth. And that's why I want to look at the suppressing of truth before we get into this passage. Because why do we do examination, which we'll look at in a second and what that is. But why do we examine ourselves? Because even as believers, we can suppress. Even as believers, we can suppress. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, we're going to read a passage of scripture that talks about the suppression of truth. Uh, most of you guys know it, but I'm going to read it through. And although uh, talking about non-believers, I think that we can apply this in our life because as a believer, we can do anything a non-believer does, right? I can gossip just like a non-believer. I can get angry just like a non-believer. I can have bad parenting just like a non-believer. I can commit adultery like a non-believer. Or in David's case, commit murder. Like a non, I mean, we can do anything that a non-believer can do, right? And so I think we can take this passage and we can look at it and we can say, okay, do we do this in our lives or can we do this in our lives? Look at it. Look at verse 18. We're going to read all the way through 33. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth. Now that word suppress, okay, it means to push down, but not to push down like, to shove, it's like if you think of a beach ball in a pool and you try and hold it under, that's what suppression is. It's like you're holding something down. It's not just like shove it, like get it out of here. It's like holding it down. So men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because that which was known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. Since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. Even though they knew God, they did not honor him or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and in their foolish hearts they were darkened. Look at verse 22. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of an incorruptible God for an image and form of a corruptible man or of birds or four legged animals and of crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over to the lust of their hearts and impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to the uh, degrading passions for their women exchanged natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also men abandoned the natural function of women and burned in their desire towards one another. Men with men committed indecent acts and receiving their own person due penalty for their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind 
to do those things which are not proper, being filled with unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They're gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, and although they know the ordinances of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do them, but they give hearty approval to those who practice them. We see here, Hard truth that people suppress truth, right? And in our life, even as believers, I believe that we can do this. We can suppress truth. Actually, I know we can. I've done it. Okay, we can hold down truth in our life when it is inconvenient or when it hurts us or when we don't want to view ourselves um, the way that we should. Okay, and so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to go through and we're going to look at the suppression what is the process of suppression in our lives? And I know this is super exciting. All you guys are looking very joyful out there. <clears throat> but we're going to go through the process of suppression so that we can better understand Psalm 139, 23, and 24. And then we're going to come back to Psalm 139, 23, and 24. We're going to look at how we can do that. And at the end, very end, there's hope, okay? So don't get... I did first service, and the whole time, everybody's like, start crying. So, you know, it is. It's, this is a hard thing uh, for me. But we'll get through it and there's hope at the end. I think the first thing that we do uh, regarding suppression of truth is rationalizing the sin. Okay, that's what suppression is, right? You, it says they exchanged a truth for a lie. Right? They exchanged the truth for the lie. So they say, this lie is what's actually true. This truth is not true. Okay, so they're, they're rationalizing sin. And this is so easy to do in our lives. And... I, I don't think I have to convince you guys very long that it is, okay? Because if I look at my own life, it's very easy, right? It's very easy to um, rationalize my sin. In fact, I, I told this this morning I, in first service. I woke up this morning, uh, and I was getting ready and for church and everything, and we just took a trip to Indiana uh, for a wedding, which is great. I love weddings. But anyway, we took a trip uh, for a wedding, and obviously we took my hair gel, okay? Do you guys like, do you guys like my hair? Okay, a lot of product. Okay, well, we took that to Indiana this morning or last week, and uh, this morning I got up. I'm getting ready, just getting ready, and I start looking for my hair gel, and it's gone. I'm like, where is my hair gel? And I look everywhere for it, and turns out we left it in Indiana. So I'm like, Haley, where's our where's our hair gel? And she's like, I don't know where your hair gel is. Well, uh, turns out that. Uh, Haley left it in Indiana. <clears throat> and uh, in my mind, I got, a little frust- I got a little frustrated, okay? I got a little frustrated with her. And uh, I called her, or I texted her and apologized. I was like, I'm sorry, I shouldn't got frustrated. And, but in my mind, you know what I'm thinking the whole time? I should be mad at her. She's the one that left it in Indiana, right? So then she texts me back and she says, I'm sorry, you know, it was my fault or whatever. And you know what I did in my mind again? You're right, it was your fault. <laughs> it's so easy to rationalize sin. It is so easy to rationalize sin in our own mind. Make an excuse, just like the farmer did, right? Everybody else has weeds in their field. It's not a big deal if I have a few in mine. 
And it's so easy to rationalize our sin. And after we rationalize it, hopefully we confess that sin. He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All right? But sometimes if we continue the process of suppression, what we do is we repeat the sin. Okay, We repeat the sin. And this is what suppression is, right? It's holding down the truth. It's not just shoving it away. It's holding it down. And this is the next step in the process of suppression. We continue in that sin. And, and when I do this in my life, okay, the second time the excuse makes a lot more sense and it comes a lot more quickly to my mind, right? Like if I sin out of, you know, anger, you know, or something like I, uh, let's say I get mad at my kids or something and I'm like, well, they're two and four. So, I mean, they deserve it in some way, I'm sure, right? And so I'm like, well, they deserve it. I, I'm justified in my anger, okay? And I make that excuse and I don't confess it. The next time I get angry at my kids, guess what? That excuse is already right there and it's ready. And it's so much easier to repeat our sin. So we rationalize our sin, then we repeat our sin, okay? We continue making excuses. We continue suppression, holding down the truth. And then the final one is we rejoice in our sin, Look at verse 22 um, of Romans chapter 1. And then at the very end at 33, look at verse 22. Here's what we do. Here's what, here's what suppression is. Professing to be wise, they become fools. They actually, they and me too sometimes, right? And all of us sometimes probably. We actually say that good is evil and evil is good. And we, we see this in our world all the time, right? Like we can look out in our world and we can see that people are like, oh yeah, good is evil and evil is good. We can see that happening um, in our culture and in other cultures, wherever. Like that's just human nature, right? And at times I think we can do this too. We can profess that what we're doing is good. And I think about like if I gossip, and I'm, I'm gossiping, you know, and of course I say bless your heart, so it's fine. But I'm gossiping to a group of guys or whatever, I'm like, you know, Garrett is so weak. Can't even hold up Bibles on Sunday morning. He's so weak. And I actually convinced myself that really it's a good thing. It's not really hurting Garrett. And the people around me are, are happy. They're laughing. Right? And so all of a sudden I've just not only justified, but made something bad good. Right? And, it, and it's that easy. And we can do that with a lot of things in our life. We can We can do it with pride. Right? If I'm... If my way works, pride is good, right? Because my way works. Hey? But uh, it's still pride, right? And so we suppress that. Look at verse 32 in Romans 1. Although they knew the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but they also give hearty approval to those who practice. They give hearty approval. So in our life, this is a process of suppression. We rationalize sin, then we repeat sin, and then we rejoice in sin. And our goal is to not do any of it, right? Okay, but if we sin, confess right away. God is a God of grace, but that doesn't mean we are supposed to abuse that grace and continue in sin. Therefore, Psalm 139, 23 and 24 is so vital. Look at it again with me. If we want to be wholeheartedly following God with everything, then that doesn't mean that we're following him in parts of our area or parts of our lives and certain areas of life and the other areas we're suppressing or pushing down. 
That means that we're wholeheartedly following. And that's what God wants from us, right? Because that's going to bring us joy and peace. And we're going to be closer relationship with him. So look at it again. So search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. First thing I want to note about this is the author David, the psalmist. He says, search me, O God, and me just the way I am. Okay. The first thing I ask there is why are you asking God to search you? God already knows everything about you. He doesn't have to search. So why is this, why is there a searching process? Is he just using poetry or is there a reason for that? And I think if you look at the verse 24, the beginning and see if there be any hurtful way in me, I think that indicates along with other passages of scripture, we're going to look at that the searching is for the benefit of the person being examined, right? Because can we deceive God about anything? If we suppress our sin, are we, are we deceiving God? Like, is he like, Oh, Hunter, I didn't realize you had that sin going on. Like, no, he knows everything, right? And so I think for the benefit of us, we're asking God to search us because we don't even know our own hearts as well as God knows our hearts. I was reading First um, Corinthians 3 the other day in my quiet time. And Paul, and I didn't write this down or anything, so excuse me if it's not quoted exactly correct. But basically Paul says, uh, be careful that no one deceives himself. Okay, the heart is deceitful, right? And so we can deceive ourselves. We can hold down, push the truth down, hold it down in our own hearts. So the psalmist says, God, you need to help me. You need to look at my heart. And I think a good word that works here is reveal. Reveal to me what my heart is. You know, the other day, or actually the other day, it was a couple weeks ago, actually, I was going through this and kind of looking at it. And right here I had to stop because I was like, got to practice what you preach, right? So I went into a room by myself and I just prayed this prayer. And when I got done praying, I realized I was perfect in every way. I'm glad some of you laughed. No, God brought up some sin in my life, okay, that I was, that I'm, that I was dealing with. And I, I was ignoring, not necessarily super like intentional, you know, and that's what happens with suppression, right? It's not like I'm like, okay, here's the truth and I know it's true and I'm going to push it and hold it down. That does happen. But a lot of times in our life, it's like we do it. I'm really good at deceiving myself and really good at being subtle and really good at suppressing. So I didn't even realize I was doing it, this sin, right? And so sometimes we don't even see our own sin. So God, is, we need to ask him. And we'll go over that in a second to search us. And then if you go down to verse 24, when it says, see if there be any harmful way in me. Some of you said, some of your versions say wicked way in me. The literal translation is see if there be any way of pain. Okay, see if there be any way of pain in me. And when I think of this, I think of Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, when it says, lay aside every weight and sin. And we always talk about how that's not just sin, but it's, it's weights. It's things that are slowing us down because we're to lay aside every weight and sin and run with endurance, right? And so it's anything that slows us down. And I think that's what David, the psalmist and the author here is getting at. He's like, not just wicked ways, but any way that is slowing me down from being the man God wants me to be or the woman that God wants me to be. Any way, anything that is slowing, see if there's any way that's going to lead me to hurtful things, Rather than the way of everlasting or the way of life. Okay. 
And so we look at this psalm, and it, it's convicting, at least to me it is. Okay, But is this the only place in the Bible that it talks about this, or is there more? There's more, Okay, to answer the question. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. This is talking about communion, but I think it's something, and you guys can study this on your own, but I think it's something you can apply to multiple areas of your life, not just communion. Paul says, but a man first must examine himself. And in doing so, is to eat the bread and drink the cup. Examine yourself. Why you got to examine yourself if, if you 100% know yourself and you're really, and you always are on top of it? Because we suppress truth, right? Here's another one. This is Psalm 26, 2. It says, examine me, O Lord, and try me. Test my mind and my heart. Again, crying out to God to test them. There's another one. Um, and this is 2 Corinthians. So 2 Corinthians, if you didn't know, there's 1st and 2nd Corinthians. So this one's 2nd. 1st Corinthians, Paul like lays into the church at Corinth, right? He gets on to him about spiritual gifts. He gets on to him about community. He gets on to him about sexual sins. He gets on to him about all this stuff. Okay. And then if you look at 2nd Corinthians 13, 3, there's people that are saying basically to Paul, prove it. Prove that what you're saying is right. And then Paul says, test yourself to see if you're in the faith or walking in the faith. Examine yourselves. Are you not recognize that this about yourselves? Are you in Christ unless you indeed fail the test? He's saying, look at your life and make sure you're walking in the spirit. Because what I said was right and you're questioning it. If we're going to examine ourselves according to Psalm 139, 23 and 24, okay, we need to figure out how we are going to do that. Okay, read it again with me, and then we're going to go through six different things. And don't worry, each one is short. We're going to go through six different things really quickly about how we can do this. So search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any way of pain in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The first thing that we need to do in the process of self-examination is know the truth. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Be diligent to be approved by God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, accurately handling and rightly dividing the word of truth. We need to understand and know the truth. Okay, And as I look out there, all you guys, I see so many people who understand and know the Bible really, really well. And that's good. Okay, But that doesn't mean we're done, right? We continue to get into the word of God because for a lot of reasons. One, because our circumstances change all the time. And so as our circumstances change, different parts of the word of God apply to us. Also, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. So it's going to cut to the heart. So we need to be examining it and knowing it. Okay, examine the truth, know the truth. If you don't know the truth, how are you going to examine yourself? If I took a math quiz or test and I turned it in and the teacher's like, well, I don't know any of the answers. What good is that? Right? She doesn't even know if I got anything wrong or right. Okay, if we don't know truth in our life, if we don't know what truth is, if we're not in the word, then we're not going to be able to examine ourselves. Okay, the second thing, invest in the application in the, I have on mine, invest in the logistics of application. James one twenty two says, do not be hearers of the word only, but be doers of the word. Doers of the word, right? That's application. Okay, we are supposed to apply. But here's the thing. Here's what, here's what my natural man does. And here's what my selfish man does. There's a lesson on pride. And I say, here's my application. I'm not going to be prideful. And then I go home and I don't do anything about it. And I think a big part of that is because I made my application so general. And when I'm making applications for myself, it shouldn't be general. What I challenge the youth with and myself with is to ask the question, how can I apply this today? 
or tomorrow or this week? You know, how can I do it right now? Okay, so instead of saying, I'm going to be less prideful, it should be, you know what? I'm going to say some words of encouragement to my wife today to shift the focus on her instead of me so that I'm not prideful. See how much more specific that application is and how much more you can do with that than just, I'm not going to be prideful. Okay, if I'm like, I'm not going to be angry. And then I go throughout my whole day without being angry and then I get angry at my kids or something. I'm like, well, I wasn't, I wasn't angry for almost the whole day. That's awesome. But really the only place I struggle with anger is with my kids. Like, you know what I mean? Like that's not specific application. That's not real application. That's make myself feel good application. Okay. And that's not what application is. Okay. Application, um, it's pointed. Okay, which is hard for us. The next thing we do, and this is right in the verse, we all see it. Pray for help. Search me, O God, and know me. Know my heart. Try me and know my exercise. God knows us so much better than we do. Okay, God knows me better than me. And so if we pray this prayer, he's going to come through. And it's a scary prayer to pray. Okay. In one sense, because he's going to show us stuff, probably. It's also not scary because, and we'll talk about this a little bit at the end, but we can go confidently or boldly to the throne of grace because God is a God of grace, right? So we're not praying to a God saying, God, search me so you can destroy me because you don't even love me. We're praying to a God to say, search me and know me so I can come to you in confidence, First John 1, 9, and confess my sins, and you can forgive them, and I can be right with you. Okay? So, yeah, it can be a scary prayer, but in one sense, it's also not scary. Okay? And it can bring a lot of joy. Another thing, get accountability from others. Okay? Get accountability from others. This is another thing that I can very easily say that I'm doing and not do. Okay? Because I can get somebody to hold me accountable that's just going to tell me what I want to hear. Okay, and in my own self, I like to surround myself with people that tell me what I want to hear. Right? Is that, what, is that the same for you guys too? It's like, if they're going to tell me, you know, you're good, you're okay, you're doing, you know what I mean? Then it's like, you know, if I sin and I go to somebody, I'm like, man, I, I was struggling with this. And I'm like, yeah, dude, everybody struggles with that. I get it. I mean, that's, that's a good thing to say too at times. But if they don't actually acknowledge that as sin and they're like, oh yeah, you know, everybody is, you, you're fine. Just keep it up. Like, that feels good. That helps my ears, right? But that's not real. Make sure that if you get an accountability partner, they're truth seekers and make sure they're honest. And Second Samuel 12 is, I think, the perfect example of this. Okay, Second Samuel 11, David goes out and he commits adultery with Bathsheba and then he murders Uriah. And then Second Samuel 12 is about a year later. Nathan the prophet comes to him and he tells him an allegory, a little sheep story, a story about sheep. Okay, to get David thinking in the right line, to get him his mind working. And then David gets all mad, right, at this pretend guy. And then what does Nathan say? He says, you are that man. That's accountability, right? That's, a, that's real accountability. When you have somebody in your life who seeks the truth so they know it, and they're honest with you, and they're willing to say, you are in sin, or maybe not even in sin. You are doing something that you shouldn't be doing because it's taken away from something else. Do you have a Nathan in your life? Do you have someone in your life 
who can be that honest with you. And it's really hard to find people like that. It is. And even if you have somebody in that, I was thinking about that this week, actually. You know, I think I have a few Nathans in my life, but I think I need to go to them and specifically tell them like, hey, I want you to be a Nathan in my life. You know what I mean? I want you to tell me when you see something. Um, and so that's something we need to do is have accountability from others. Another one, another one, again, if you look at Psalm 139, we need to look at our specific sins and see if there be any, any, not see if there be pride in my life because I know I'm not prideful which we're all prideful. See if there be any anger in my life, because I'm not an angry person, and I don't mind examining that portion of my life. Don't, you know, see if there's specific sins. We have to look, if we're examining ourselves to be right before God and, and to confess those sins, we need to be specific. We need to say, okay, what am I doing? Is there anything that is keeping me from running the race with endurance? Is there anything that's holding me back? I want to know it. And the final one, be honest. Okay, be honest. Because if you're not honest, okay, at the end of this whole process of examining your life, you're back at step one, you're suppressing truth. Right? That's where, that's, that's not being honest. Not being honest is suppressing the truth. It's holding that truth down. And so if you're not, if you get to the end of this process and you're not actually honest about looking at specific sins, you don't get an accountability partner that's actually going to point out sin. If you like half-heartedly, you're, like, you're not really praying like you, you pray the prayer and then you run away really quick and don't ever think about it because you don't want to see any sin. You know, I can say all these things because I've done them all, guys. Just FYI. If you're not actually applying the word, just implying general things, uh, and then if you don't know the truth, okay, if you're not honest about all that, you're suppressing the truth again. All right? So in our life, okay, I want to be, and I, you should want to be, a believer who's seeking God, right? Wholeheartedly following after God in every area of your life, not part of your life, not this section of my life, every single area you should be desiring to be pursuing God. And that is David's prayer here. His prayers from a heart of, I want to be like you. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any way of pain in me and lead me in the way everlasting. In the fourth year of the farmer, what do you think he did? He got up every single morning and he went out and he looked at his fields. Because he realized that weeds can take over. And he realized that if he lied to himself, he would not be fruitful in what he did. And in our life, as believers, we can be fruitful and sometimes we can be non-fruitful or not fruitful, right? We want to be fruitful believers. We want to be those who are pursuing Christ. Even as believers, it's easy to suppress or push down the truth about our sin. And it's easy to let sin slowly grow in our lives. Okay, like you guys have all heard the frog illustration. You put a frog in boiling water, what does he do? He jumps out. You put him in cold water and then boil the water, what happens? He boils a day. Okay, like sin can be like that in our life. Okay, that's why we need to apply these verses. That's why we have to examine ourselves. And that's why we need help examining ourselves. So find a Nathan, pray to God, and look at yourself honestly and say, is there something in my life that I need to get right with God? You know, And none of this is, has anything to do with salvation, guys. We're not talking about salvation. You guys know that. Okay? We're not, you believe in Jesus for eternal life and you get it. But this is talking about after that, we want to be a follower of Christ, right? 
We want to be a follower of Christ. We should desire that. So we should be searching ourselves to get as close to God as we can. Okay, And the, the best thing about all of this is 1 John 1, 9, right? Because if we examine ourselves, we confess it to God, what happens? He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. His grace is so big, it can cover any sin. It can cover anything that we've ever done or ever will do. God's grace is awesome. That's why we can come with confidence to the throne of grace. We say, God, listen, examine me. Search me and know me. Reveal to me if there's something in my life you want me to do differently. And if there is, then you, you take that to him. Because he's a God that loves us. And that's what makes all this good. You know, if he was a God that didn't love us and hated us, then this would be really terrible. All of this, right? We wouldn't want to search ourselves. We wouldn't want any of this, right? But he's not. He's a forgiving, loving God. So because of that, we should search ourselves. We should pray to him and examine ourselves. So this week or today, okay, not sometime, someplace, somewhere at some point, Today, how are you going to examine yourself? Maybe you already have a process down. Okay, Maybe you need a Nathan or more Nathans. Maybe you need to sit down and pray and ask God. Maybe you just need to look at your own life. I don't know. Okay, For me, I had to go sit down and pray. Okay, And I'm going to continue that. And I'm going to try and build a, uh, a discipline of praying this prayer in my life. Okay, So what is it for you? What do you need to do today to examine yourself?